All right, I want to ask y'all a question, and this is something you can answer back with, is uh, what is, as Christians, what is our motivation for obedience to Jesus? What motivates us to obey him? His love? Yes. And this is multifaceted. So his love, definitely. What, made, what about his love motivates us? Fulfills us.
is this looking ahead to the reward. And I want to use Moses as an example out of Hebrews chapter 11. So if you want to turn to Hebrews 11, we're going to start reading in verses 23 through 27. I got my beautiful assistant helping He's beautiful too. Okay, so. So let's, just, let's read this together. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Since he was looking ahead to the reward, by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. So we're going to break this down, this passage down, and just kind of look at each phrase and sentence. So the first phrase I want us to look at is that it says they saw that the child was beautiful. And it goes, you know, saying by faith Moses after he was born was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. So the parents are risking their lives to save the child. But what motivated them, part of the reason they wanted to save the child is when they, they saw the beauty of this child. And I, I think this goes without saying in their awakening, but Obviously, the abortion issue is front and center, and we're pro-family, pro-foster care, pro-adoption, pro-life, and it's because children are beautiful in every stage and in every form and in every stage of development, in the womb, out of the womb, and all. And so here, here you have uh, Moses, and, and the reason they're trying to hide him, in case you don't know, is that Pharaoh has called for all the firstborn males to be killed. All right? What happens when another deliverer rises on the scene? And Jesus, you know, Jesus was another deliverer, obviously, the deliverer. Herod releases a, an edict to kill all the firstborn males. And so, it, abortion does snuff out the lives of those. I mean, who, who knows what deliverers could have been raised up that have been killed um, before they were born. Secondly, they didn't fear the kings either. And so, there's going to be times when, and I don't, I don't really know this, and this is, Part of this message is a little sobering, you know, and but it's good to be sober. <laughs> it's good to be sober, right? And and so it says they didn't fear the king's edict, and that whether it's in our day or in our children's day, we have to be prepared if the if the government's ever saying, "Listen, you can't worship Jesus." Or we're going to restrict you, your ability to come together as a church. What did the what did the 
the persecuted church did. They stopped meeting because Rome was like, hey, we don't like you guys. You're making, you're causing disruptions. Or even the Pharisees, and then you, so they had it from Roman government, from the religious leaders, and then they had it from the secular guys because Paul, uh, they ran him out of town because he cast a demon out of a, a, a girl that was a psychic, basically, and would fortune tell, and the guys that were pimping her out were losing money. And they're like, get out. He's like, you just ruined our business. So you might you can expect when things really start to be shaken, there's going to be persecution from the government, even persecution from maybe within even some uh, areas of Christendom, and then persecution from secular people. And they were not afraid of the king's edict, meaning they they had a greater conviction of that this was the right thing to do than try to grow orders, even if it cost them their lives. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So a sign of maturity of growing up in God is the loss of your former identity. You know that you're maturing in the Lord when the things that you prided yourself on no longer can kind of have a pull on you. And, uh, you know, some of y'all, you know, may not have heard this part of my testimony, but even just as a high school basketball player, I had a lot of identity wrapped up in playing basketball. I had a lot of identity wrapped up in, in vanity and other things like that. And I remember when I first, when I gave my life to the Lord, one um, the summer of 2000, I was TTP about House of State. And one of the things God immediately started working on was just this, uh, a vanity thing that I had. And so what happened to me, because I was looking in the mirror, I wanted to make sure I was as chiseled as I could be and all this kind of stuff would work out all the time. Wanted to be tan, you know, all this kind of vanity stuff. Wanted to impress the girls, wanted to impress everybody, you know, just concerned how people perceive me. And so when I get surrendered to the Lord, God immediately started pushing that, purging that out of my life. And he did it by two main ways that summer. First, I had to get a haircut. And I went, I saw this salon. I was like, I can get a basic haircut here. I'm sure they know what they're so I go in, it's three older ladies, Catherine. And I walk in and like the bell hits the door and then they're like, <laughs> and I was up in there. They look like I'd never seen a 22 year old kid before. And I was like, hey, and they're like, uh, can we help you? I felt like I walked in in somebody's house or something. And so I was like, yeah. Want to get a haircut? And she went, okay. I said, do you get those? <laughs> she said, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, sure, have a seat. And uh, so, you know, I'm like sitting down, not sure what's going on with that. She leaves the lady in the curlers and the dryer over there. 
she comes over, she's like, and I tell her where I want. I know exactly how I want my hair cut. There's like three guards on the side and chalk the top. Blended. So she, she's like, okay. She puts the guard on. And she's literally, if Chris is sitting where I'm at, she's doing this. And by the time she got the first room in, it's over with, right? You know, so anyways, I walked out of there. The hair on the side of my head was longer than the hair on top. So I walked out of there looking like I was like bald head or something. And, and so then, a couple days later, I go to play basketball. I go down to reach for a ball, and that guy's head hits me on the corner of my eye and splits my eye. And I have a black eye and a swollen eye for like two weeks. So here I am, horrible haircut, black eye. Not very pretty to any of the girls walking around, you know? And so the Lord, and I knew it, I was just like, this is, I was like, God, you're already like destroying this thing, you know, that wants to impress and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so the Lord, and then when I was in seminary, Sometimes I would have guys ask me if I played college basketball and I'd go into my story of, you know, had a half a scholarship from Oglethorpe University, tried to walk on in Georgia, Toby Smith didn't know how to walk on. It's like a five minute story. And one day after I told that story to a fellow student, I was walking off and the Holy Spirit said, can you not tell them you just played high school basketball? And I was like, I can. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you need to do that. <laughs> and so, he needs to, if I've ever had that question asked to me, and I was like, hey, did you play college basketball? No, just high school. Oh, okay. But I'm like, you know, at first I was just like, wait, wait, no. <laughs> but the Lord, he's, he, all those things, and you took pride in it, because I was like, I'm a basketball player. I like to look good, all this kind of stuff. It's got to go. And pride is rooted in identity. So even like this being Pride Month, it's appropriately named. It's appropriately named. Because when, when your identity is in something outside of Jesus, it can, first of all, it's easily shaped. It's easily shaped. The second thing is rooted in pride. Identity, by nature, outside of Jesus, is rooted in pride. Because who is it about? About me. So no matter whether it's you, your identity is in your sexuality, or your identity is in vanity, or your identity is in basketball, it has to die. And, you know, and on the topic of homosexuality, I've told my kids, you know, my kid asked me about it. He said, listen, any homosexual can come into the way. Any homosexual can come in. But we're not going to call homosexuality right. Just like we're not going to call adultery right. And pornography right. And any other sexual immorality. We want to help them get healed if, they, if that's what they want. It's just like anything else. People have to want to get want to get healed, and we're willing. We don't. We've always. If you've ever you've been around the awakening for a while, you know that we'll let anybody come in here to hear the gospel. And so, 
Pride is always rooted in identity. And uh, the only thing that we celebrate is, you know, Paul said, I had, Paul says, I've got a lot of things I can boast about. He's like, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, born in the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, studied in the game of Leo, you know, the, the best rabbi. He said, but the only thing I boast in is I boast in Christ. I boast in my weakness. And so, even in like subculture, so like, if there's any, you know, I've got family, we're, my family roots are in South Georgia, and there's like country boy culture. Anything that doesn't line up with Jesus and with the gospel, any of that country boy culture, it's got to die. From the north, Minnesota nice. Minnesota. But if Minnesota nice, you know, if it's not that look like Jesus, it needs to die. Whatever this, whatever, wherever you come from, I kind of like the crack on the back. So Fernando, my, my friend, he's from Bolivia. He didn't like Mexicans. That's Latin on Latin hate right there. But he thought, you know, in Latin America, he thought Mexicans were arrogant. And thought, and thought they looked down their nose at the rest of Latin America. And then he was in Bolivia, he was looking, and his hometown was in a valley, and he was with his family. And Fernando loves Jesus more than anybody in the And they were with a local pastor, and he's with his family. He's like, let's pray, let's pray. So just kind of give thanks to God for this time. And he asked the local pastor to pray, and the pastor prays for Fernando. He says, Lord Jesus opened Fernando's eyes and Fernando saw a ball and chain connected to his hometown. And the Lord came and broke it off of him and he said he like wept for, for minutes because he, and in that moment, you know how only the Lord can give you understanding in a moment like that. He knew where it was, was the Lord's like, Fernando, that's not your home. That's not your home. Your home is somewhere else. He said, you need to feel at home wherever you go because I'm with you. And so Fernando got breakthrough where he says when he goes back home, it's totally different. He doesn't, he's almost, he's detached but not in a bad way. It, it can't manipulate him. I pride in his hometown or whatever, it can't manipulate him. He goes to Mexico, speaks to Mexican pastors, shares that testimony. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and they begin to weep, and they repent for right? being proud, having Mexican pride. And the same thing happens. And so, this is feeding into what about looking ahead to the reward, because you have to realize that this isn't our home. We're aliens, we're strangers, we're sojourners. It says that Abraham lived in the promised land that God had promised him in tents. So what is that? It's saying that he didn't even see the total fulfillment of God's promises. And we're living in, in this time that's called now but not yet. We see God's kingdom manifest, but we're not going to see the fullness until Jesus is revealed, until he's reigning from Jerusalem, and we're reigning, ruling and reigning with him in the earth. And then even after that, after a thousand year reign, the, the new Jerusalem, 
Heaven is actually going to come to earth. It's going to, the New Jerusalem is like 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles tall. And it's going to descend upon the earth. And it's literally heaven coming to earth. And that's going, that's our home. The New Jerusalem. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. You can lose your life for other reasons than Jesus. He says, but if you lose your life because of me, you will find it. For what would it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. And then, I do, I do just want to say this about, I think this is, I want to circle back to the homosexuality, homosexuality issue. And there's people who feel like they've been homosexuals since birth. And this, and I, I feel like what you can, if you ever talk to somebody like that, what you can say to them is like, that's why Jesus said we need to be born again. You have to be born again. And if somebody uh, says they're a Christian and they're still struggling with same-sex attraction, we want to walk with them, help them. We want to help you, right? Jesus didn't come for the world, he came for the sick. But, it, but the temptation is to compromise what's the truth in order to befriend people. And that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't set anybody free. So, when he had grown up, so living from a place of looking to the heavenly reward is, a, is also a sign of maturity. When we demand that God puts us in the position to fulfill our destiny, it's kind of a, a type of parable, son spirit. And so, think about what, what Moses had in front of him. He had like the world, all the trappings of the world at his fingertips. He was destined to be a prince. And he gave all of that up, his personal destiny, to suffer with the people of God, to do, to obey the Lord, right? And I'm telling you, like God, your destiny is found in God's plan. And people, if, if you have a question like, God, what have you called me to? What are you doing in my life? What's the calling on my life? I don't think it's as much as like necessarily what you're doing as opposed to what you're believing about what Jesus inside of you. Because if Jesus is inside of you, you can be like Brother Lawrence and wash dishes and have people come to you from the, around the, the country to have you pray for them. <laughs> it's, it's not as much about occupation as opposed to who you are and realizing who lives inside of you. He said, it says that he, Moses realized that the pleasures of sin are fleeting. Sin is deceptive because we exchange the eternal for the temporary, just like Esau. Esau had an inheritance. He came in from the countryside hunting. He was really hungry. And Jacob tricked him. You know, Jacob had a pot of stew. He's like, 
listen, I'll, I'm only going to give you a meal if you switch places. You let me receive your inheritance. And Esau did a foolish thing because he swapped the inheritance for the temporary gratification. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I just, I'm just hungry. <laughs> and so, but he forfeited his inheritance because of living from the temporary. And it says, he suffered reproach. In the gospel, reproach is considered to be riches because you're living from a totally different value system than the world's value system. God's value system, weakness and strength, humility exalts you, pride demotes you. To give, to receive, you must give first. It's the upside down kingdom mentality. But it's, it's all about what you put your value in. So if your values are in the, like the world system way of things, then, you, then it's easy to be shaken. So like the U.S. dollar is called the petrodollar, right? And a lot of the other world currencies are best are based off the petrodollar. Well, what happens when if the petrodollar loses value? Well, values are going to shift to something else. Maybe it's gold, maybe it's some other commodity. But then the, the world will value that, right? And so living, everything in this world is shakeable, everything in this world is temporary, and so we live with values that are unshakable as well, right? a, a new value system that God's given us. He chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I want to say that there is a doctrine of suffering in the Bible that's outlined clearly in the Bible. I don't, I'm not promoting like, hey, don't, don't have a woe is me life. Don't be a victim. That's one of our, one of our decrees and values is don't be a victim. Because <laughs> God's giving you everything that you need for life and others. So it's not a victim mentality, but it's an understanding of the ways of God. That there's, there's discipline. There's suffering that you have to go through simply because you're living in this world. You're living in a fallen world. But if you, but there's some messages out there that there's just like, listen, I mean, Jessica and I, we literally sat in a message where they're telling you to receive Jesus because he's going to make you better at life. And I understand what they're trying to say. But that's, but if you're thinking, oh, I want a better life, well, what happens when he gives you a black eye and gives you a bad haircut? What, what happens when, you know, he's, you're in an argument with your wife and he's like, you need to repent. You need to humble yourself. Or whatever. And the better life doesn't mean everything going your way. It means being teaching. But, the, but part of the suffering, it says Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's in the Bible. So what is what does that mean for Jesus? Jesus, there's there's times where obedience produces pain. It produces hardship. And it's not necessarily from the hand of the Lord. It means it's painful because 
you might have to leave a relationship. Or you're going against the world system in obedience to Jesus and there's repercussions that the world brings against you. I have a bunch of scriptures on uh, you know, how, it's, how we have to suffer in this world to receive reward. I trust y'all believe me. I'm going to move on. For he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasure of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Moses actually saw the Messiah from afar. Moses was one of the first ones to actually prophesied by Messiah. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. It is what is requested from you from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God to see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, Moses, they have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. And so Moses actually saw very dimly Jesus in the future. David saw Jesus. The very first prophecy about Jesus was given by God right after Adam and Eve rebelled and he says, told Eve, you're going to have a son. Serpent's going to strike his ankle, but the, but the son will crush his head. So there's greater wealth to be found in obeying Jesus rather than compromising and disobeying God to have temporary gain in this world. So what is the greater reward? When, Je when we stand before Jesus and he says, I want his recompense is coming with him and his reward is in his hand. What's the reward? Y'all give me some answers. This is another response time. What is Jesus, what's the reward that Jesus is returning with in his hand? What do your heavenly rewards look like? Eternity, honor. No. What else? Has he promised us to rule with him? Yes. So we'll be given authority. We'll have eternal life. What about our bodies? What's going to happen to them? that can handle all the glory. Why do people get slain in the spirit? This body can't handle the glory. So when you get new bodies, you're going to be able to soak it all in. <laughs> what else? Unveiled access. To the, to the Lord. I 
never hug Jesus. There's times where I just tell Jesus, I was like, Jesus, I just would love to hug you right now. I just want to wrap my arms around you. I just want to put my face into your neck and like just rest there. There's, we've mentioned some of, some of it. We don't know. We don't even know what some of it is. Then lastly, by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. So the question is, are we willing to leave Egypt behind? Egypt representing the world. That song we sang, nothing else, nothing else but you. No. And in my heart, while we're singing that, I'm like, Lord, is there something else? Is there something else I'm holding on to besides you? And I'm going to answer the feelings to Because I want to go. I want to go. How did Moses persevere? He saw the invisible one. First Timothy 1.17 says, To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then how do we see, so how do we see the invisible one? How do you see someone who's invisible? Well, you get well acquainted with the revealings of God in Scripture, Exodus 19 and 20, Exodus 33, Revelation 1, Daniel, the Ancient of Days, Ezekiel's encounter, all of those revealings of who God is. And then you meditate upon those, and then you behold Him. And so we're looking in the mirror. And, that, and they're not talking about, so when Paul wrote, we look at us in the mirror dimly. We don't have these, Paul didn't have these mirrors that we have today. It was like a piece of glass or metal, you know, it's distorted and you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of can tell what's in there. And, then, and so we don't, we're growing in the revelation of who Jesus is. We're seeing him clearer and clearer as we grow in intimacy with him. And as we grow, as we see him more clearly, it transforms us and we become more like him. Yeah, I think that. So what I want us to do for just our ministry time is I want us to pray for one another. So you're going to pray with somebody who's not your spouse. All right. And, uh, you know, and then I want you just to pray for God, help us to live with an eternal perspective. Help us to live looking forward to the reward and help us not live attached to these things that are temporary. Okay. We'll, we'll have some music. Don't want to do that. But go ahead. <clears throat> Two or three people break up and let's pray together. And I'll wrap it up at the end. I'm going to pray for us to close us out. Father, I want to just pray your word over us. Psalm 86. Teach us your way, O Lord. We will walk in your truth. Unite our heart to fear your name. We will give thanks to you, O Lord our God, with all of our heart. We will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness towards us is great. You have delivered our soul from the depths of Sheol. Lord, we thank you. Give us 
begins with the fear of the Lord. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.